morning. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm Pastor Josh. I'm the director of community here at our church, and uh, I'm thankful to be able to speak with you this morning. Uh, you should have received a Connect card on your way in, um, and if you could fill that out uh, and turn it in, in the offering after the message, that'd be great. Uh, you'll notice that in front of you, there's some Bibles. Uh, if you want to follow along this morning, uh, that'd be great. And if you don't have one at home, we'd love to give one to you um, because this, this book will change your life if you seek God in it. Um, if this is your first time here, I'd encourage you to um, go to the Welcome Center and get one of these guest packets. We'd love to get you something from the cafe just to say, glad you're here. Welcome. Um, so today is Father's Day. Make sure you tell your dad you love him. Spend some quality time together. Uh, dads, if you've been bringing your family to church and modeling for your family what it means to follow Christ, uh, you're doing an awesome job. Keep up the good work uh, because your leadership has a tremendous impact on your family. I know that my dad was my role model growing up. Um, I grew up in a Christian home and my, my parents really modeled what it meant to live an authentic faith. Uh, I remember one time I was up on a brisk morning and I had breakfast with my dad on the front porch after he read his Bible. And when our conversation would kind of die down, I could hear him praying under his breath. And he was, he was so focused on his relationship with God that whenever he had a free moment, his heart and his mind went back to God. I, I remember my parents talking with and praying with other people around our kitchen table while we played with their kids. I, I remember my parents giving me my first Bible and my dad talking with me about how important it is to read your Bible every day. Uh, and I want to raise my kids like that. So dads, you have the power to transform your children's future with your faithfulness to Christ. Isn't it amazing to see how much God teaches you through family relationships? Uh, I had a friend once told me when I was engaged, he said that the two biggest things in my life that God has used to, to transform me to be more like Christ are my marriage and my kids. And that's been true for me too. Uh, between my wife and my kids, I, I have such an increased awareness of my need for God. Uh, I have an increased awareness of the love of God for me as well through those relationships. Um, I remember one of many incidents just holding my daughter while she's just screaming and melting down and is completely unable to uh, reason with. And she, all she knew was that she didn't get what she wanted and she was upset and, and she didn't understand how the world worked, why I couldn't give her what she wanted. Um, God is that same way with me sometimes. When I freak out, when I throw a fit because this is not going the way I expected, this is not what I wanted, God knows what's really going on and he's there with me. He's there comforting me, giving me strength and leading me on. God has even more patience with me than I do with my kids. Uh, it's amazing to see what God teaches us through our family relationships. And Jesus knew this well. He uses parables to teach us about the kingdom of God and uh, some of them involve family life. He, he describes God to his followers as our father. And we're going to take a look at a tale of two sons in one of the parables of Jesus this morning and see what we can learn about how we should relate to God. We're going to see two ways that we break our relationship with God, and then we'll see how he responds. So this tale of two sons is found in Luke 15. It's well known. Uh, it's often referred to as the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, but there's actually two sons in this story, and it, it could probably better be titled the parable of the loving father. 
In the first few verses of this chapter, we learn that Jesus is talking to a crowd containing two different types of people who were very different from each other. Uh, there was the sinners and tax collectors, and there was the Pharisees. Uh, these tax collectors is not, not quite like you know, your average government agent now. They were seen as both uh, thugs and traitors because they took taxes from their Jewish countrymen, took a cut, and then gave the taxes to the Roman occupying regime. No one liked him. Uh, the other crowd was the Pharisees, and they were publicly very faithful to God, but they manipulated the Jewish law to their own advantage, and their heart was not in it. Their heart was not in following God. It was more of an outward obedience. So the two sons in this parable are intended by Jesus to resemble these two different types of people. Uh, let's take a look at Luke 15, 10 through 16. Jesus directs the first part of the parable towards the sinners. And we'll start with the conclusion of his last parable. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. So the first way we break our relationship with God is rebellion. We break our relationship with Father God when we rebel against him. Even if your sin doesn't seem like it hurts anybody else, it damages your relationship with God. And in the story, the prodigal son asks for his inheritance from his father. Uh, according to the, the Jewish law, a father could divide his wealth before he died if he chose to. The older son would get twice as much as the other son. So if there's only two boys, the younger son gets one-third, the older son gets two-thirds. Uh, however, it was extremely dishonoring and disrespectful in their patriarchal culture for a son to request his inheritance before his father had passed away. It was like saying, basically, I wish you were dead. I've only ever wanted your money and not a relationship with you. Can you imagine what the father must have felt like? He, he must have felt hurt and betrayed. And maybe you've felt that way before too. But despite his hurt, he, he decided to give the younger son his portion of the inheritance. Things did not turn out well for the prodigal son in this parable. His, his dissatisfied heart led to a dissatisfied life. He, he wasted his fortune. But instead of finding fulfillment, he found that what he really needed was back home all along. His sin was fun for a while, but as always, it brought pain in the end. Uh, I've heard it said that uh, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And the prodigal son had to learn that the hard way. Any of you ever, ever been there? Um, maybe you felt like the prodigal son before. You know, you decided, okay, forget it. Forget you, God. I'm going to live my own way. Um, and things didn't turn out as well as you had hoped. Maybe you, you rejected what your parents taught you about God and began to live for whatever made you feel good. Maybe you developed an addiction. Maybe, maybe your life became so focused on yourself 
and your entertainment that you neglected to love, your family and friends, let alone strangers. Your rebellion broke your relationship with God. Now, all too often, we separate um, our sin from our relationship with God. Instead of seeing it as betrayal against the creator God, it's simply uh, breaking an impersonal law from some higher power. In reality, our, our disobedience shows a lack of love for God. And Jesus says this in John 14, verses 23 and 24. Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. So it was the younger son's lack of love for his father that led him to disobey. He allowed his own sinful desires to become stronger than his love for his father. And as Christians, we obey God because we love him. We don't obey him so that he will love us. Our father has already demonstrated his love for us. And when we express our love back to him through following him and living like Jesus. Even those of us who are fathers love our kids, not because of anything they've done, but because of who they are. They're our kids. Even when my daughters are disobedient, uh, I may have to give them a timeout, but I, I never love them any less. And God is like that. His love for us never changes because of our sin. So the younger son displayed his lack of love for his father by his rebellion. But, but separating himself from his father brought lots of problems. Let's, let's take a look at a few of those. First is rebellion lies to us. It tells us that we'll be satisfied if we can just break free from God's rules. It questions God's love for us instead of trusting him. And in reality, obeying God is a response to his love for us. So the strategy to prevent rebellion is not a greater sense of duty, but an increased awareness of the love of God for us. Uh, rebellion destroys our best relationships. Our selfish desires cause us to leave our Father God and also sometimes to mistreat those who are close to us. Rebellion dishonors those who love you the most. Just as the son dishonored his father, so do we dishonor people when we only use them for what we can get from them instead of loving them for who they are. Rebellion wastes your time and your resources. Uh, the prodigal son was so bent on enjoying himself and living his life just to make himself happy that he didn't have what he needed when times were tough. I know it can be tempting sometimes to, to spend our money on just focused on what makes us feel good, but don't, don't waste it. There are eternal things to live for. There are other people we can bless. Don't waste your time and your money just on yourself. Rebellion isolates you from the support of the family of God. So because he had isolated himself and abandoned his family, he had no support during his time of need. And please don't isolate yourself from the support of the family of God. Your church, your connect group, your friends, we're here to be with you and walk with you through it. Uh, please don't isolate yourself. Jesus tells his audience that the son had found a job feeding the pigs at a local farm, uh, which by the way was not a very good job for a Jewish boy. He, he was so broke and miserable that he was jealous of the pig's food. And I have literally worked on a pig farm and I can tell you right now, never once was I jealous of the food that we fed the pigs. Uh, he must have been starving. I can't even imagine. No wonder he decided to go home. 
So let's take up the story in verse 17. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. I love how the Bible says that he finally comes to his senses. Have you ever had one of those moments where you're like, what am I doing? This was a terrible idea. If you've ever had one of those moments, I'd encourage you to respond like the prodigal son did. Uh, because when he had a change of heart, he made an action step to make things right. He returned home to those he had abandoned and he humbly admitted that he didn't deserve his father's blessings. His, his sense of entitlement was just obliterated at this point. And he says here, he says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. That is quite a transformation from the arrogance that we saw earlier. So here's the amazing thing that his audience would have been well of. In, in the Old Testament Jewish law, a rebellious son such as this uh, was required to be taken to the elders and stoned to death by the men of the village. There was actually a death penalty in their culture for that. And you can check that out in Deuteronomy 21. This is what he deserved, but, but Jesus blows their mind with his description of the love of the father. Now, what about us? Instead of the prodigal son, when we rebel, betray God, abandon him, how does he respond? Is God up there raining down lightning bolts like Zeus? Does he make our lives miserable at every turn to teach us a lesson? Does he shut us out when we shut him out? Let's see how the father responds. Verses 20 through 24 say, So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But if you've noticed, the son doesn't even say the last sentence of his rehearsed speech because the father is so overjoyed, he just cuts him off. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Now, instead of giving him what he deserved or, or even taking him on as a hired servant, the father throws an extravagant party to welcome him back into the family with no strings attached. How does God respond to us when we repent for our rebellion? Just like the parable, Father God throws an extravagant party when rebels like me repent and return to the family of God. Uh, in the fall of 2004, I did an urban ministry internship in New York City. We worked with a whole bunch of different ministries and one of them uh, was called the Father's Heart on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. And uh, we were doing a soup kitchen and during the meal, they had a short salvation message and their motto that they just kept repeating was this. They said, daddy's not angry, it's time to come home. And I want you to know today that if you're far from God, you can come home. No matter how much you've rebelled, daddy's not angry, it's time to come home. God will welcome you back with open arms despite your darkest sins. And maybe you're here today and you're thinking, Pastor Josh, you have no idea 
what I've done. God could never love me or forgive me. And, and you're right, I, I, I have no idea what you've done, but God does. He still loves you. And I know that because he still loves me, even though he knows who I am and my darkest sins. And if you've wasted your life chasing the next high, he'll forgive you. Uh, if you have never given as much as a penny to someone in need for your entire life, he will forgive you. No matter what it is, his forgiveness covers everything. So that's the first way that we break our relationship with God through rebellion. The second way that we break our relationship with Father God is when we depend on our own righteousness to earn our salvation. And to be honest, this is more of an issue for me personally than rebellion. I've always been a, a little bit of a rule follower. And, and some people, you know, you might think that's great, but it becomes a bad thing when I begin to think that I've earned points with God or that I am better than someone else because I've followed the rules and they haven't. Uh, I grew up as a pastor's kid and I decided to follow Jesus at, at really a very young age, but I really didn't understand grace. Um, even though my dad didn't say this, I developed this mindset of, okay, if I'm good, God's happy with me. And if I'm bad, God is angry or sad with me. So therefore I should do more things to make God happy. I remember thinking I was better than others because I didn't drink, I didn't sleep around or cuss or look at porn. And I was a good person, not a sinner like them. I remember that my prayers would usually focus on asking God to make me better at something, start doing this or stop doing that. And it, it wasn't, I didn't want to be good because I loved God and I wanted to express that to him. I wanted to be good because I wanted to be better than other people. I had arrogance in my heart and I wanted to have it all together. So I reached a point in my life where, where I began to realize that I was like the older brother in this parable. Uh, and we're gonna take a look at that. This part of the story, Jesus was directing at the Pharisees. Um, and so they should have seen themselves in this character and learned from what Jesus was teaching. All right, verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, Dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Now the older son, he was doing what he should have been doing. He was working hard for the family, and, but despite his father's invitation, he refused to come in. Unlike his brother, it wasn't his sin that created the barrier between him and his father. It was the pride that he had in his moral record. He was so proud, he was even judging his father. What he didn't realize was 
that he already had everything he was working for so hard. Since the inheritance had been divided, literally, the one-third went to the younger son and everything else belonged to the older son. But because he was trying to earn something that his sinful brother received for free, he was bitter and envious and refused to celebrate. It wasn't fair. But salvation isn't fair. It's not based on merit. Let's see what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. 8 and 9. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Salvation is a gift from God. We believe in Jesus and receive his grace. It's not a reward for the good things we have done. What we can learn from this passage and the older brother is that we break our relationship with God when we depend on our own righteousness to earn our salvation. Have any of you Christians ever felt like the older brother? You know, God, all these years, I've slaved for you, I've obeyed you, and it hasn't turned out like I thought. I haven't gotten what you owe me, what I deserve. He rebelled against you and that guy gets a party? I know I've felt that way before. And the older son, he's so bitter at his brother, and he's shocked by his father's loving response, and he refuses to come inside. Now, the father, despite being the host of this big party, he decides to come outside and plead with his older son to come back in. And God is just like that. Father God pleads with self-righteous people like me to celebrate God's grace for rebels and accept his grace. That's how he responds to self-righteous people. He loves them so much that he pleads with them to give and receive grace. Now, it's very easy to self-righteously judge self-righteous people, but it's much more godly to invite them in to live graciously with us. If you're depending on your own morality to save you or to earn you points with God, like the elder brother, you won't celebrate when immoral people receive the same reward that you are trying to earn because it's not fair And if you're depending on your own morality, you can't receive God's grace either because quite quite simply, you're trying to be your own savior. Jesus might be your teacher, but he's not your savior unless you confess your sin and accept his forgiveness. Uh, We can sometimes fall back into this mindset after we're Christians, it's easy to do. We obey God for what he can give us instead of because we love the God who has forgiven us. We need to repent sometimes not only for our sins, but for trying to be our own savior. There's a very common misconception about God in our society that drives me nuts sometimes. Uh, And it's this, if I'm a good person, I can go to heaven. And and the truth is there's, there's no good people in heaven. There's only forgiven people. And there has only ever been one good person. And his name is Jesus. We are all in need of God's grace. So instead of relying on being good to spend eternity with Jesus, rely on his sacrifice and the forgiveness that he extends to you. And in the end, we shouldn't relate to God like either of these sons related to their father. Uh, Tim Keller says in his book, The Prodigal God, that neither son loved the father for himself. They both were using the father for their own self-centered ends rather than loving, enjoying, and serving him for his own sake. This means that you can rebel against God and be alienated from him. 
either by breaking the rules or by keeping all of them diligently. So are you loving, enjoying, and serving God for his own sake? Or are you using God for your own ends through rebellion or self-righteousness? So we've seen this morning those two ways that we can break our relationship with God. Jesus is calling us this morning to admit our need for forgiveness and receive the new life that he has for us. Don't live your life like either of these brothers. Maybe you realized this morning that you didn't respond like the father to someone who was rebellious or self-righteous. Instead of inviting them in, you've shut them out because of their sin. And I wanna encourage you today to invite them in like the father invited in the two sons. Maybe you see yourself more in the rebel, the prodigal son. You've run away from God, seeking to satisfy yourself. But in the end, you're still not satisfied. You've ignored God's love for you and chosen to live life your own way. If that's you this morning, if you're not sure if God will forgive you, I want you to know that he's not angry and you can come home. He's waiting for you to come home. There's nothing that you've done that could cause him to not love you and not forgive you. He'll be filled with joy if you repent and come home. So if that's you this morning, I'd ask you to pray with me. Let's, let's bow our heads and pray together. And, and if you identify with that younger son, uh, pray this prayer in your heart. Father, I have sinned against you. I don't deserve to be welcomed home by you, but I'm coming home because I know you love me. I believe that Jesus paid the price for my sins on the cross and rose again that I might have new life as well. From now on, I live for you and not myself. Amen. And if that's you, if that's where you're at, we'd love to talk more with you and pray with you. After the service, there'll be a couple people over here by the prayer room um, and we'd love to pray with you. Um, Maybe some of you see yourself a bit more in the older brother. You've been a Christian for a while and you've begun to live like God owes you something because of your good behavior. You look down on rebels and sinners and take pride in your own goodness. You know, God wants you to come home too. He wants you to be able to give and receive grace. He wants you to humbly depend on him to make you holy and not on yourself. So I wanna encourage you this morning to admit your sin and receive forgiveness from God. So this morning, if you felt like you really identified with that elder brother in the story, um, we're gonna pray one more time and I'd ask you to pray this in your heart if that's you this morning. Let's bow our heads. Father, I'm sorry that I've been trying to be my own savior. I confess that I've been proud and self-righteous. I'm sorry that I have not loved rebels as much as you do. Thank you for your unconditional love. Teach me to follow you out of love and not out of duty. Amen. Amen. If that's you today, um, I'd encourage you as well. Get, get some prayer from our team after the service. Um, you know, we want the love of God to permeate everything we do. And sometimes we need to learn how to receive that. Sometimes we need to learn how to give that away. So no matter which character in this parable you see yourself in this morning, I'd encourage you to, to let go of your sins to let go of your pride, to humble yourself, confess your sins to God and receive his grace. Uh, Let's pray real quick. Father, we thank you for your unconditional love for us, that you always invite us in, you offer us grace and you're making us new. We thank you for the blessings that we have in you uh, and we pray that you would just transform us 
by your power. In Jesus' name.